Axel, amazing name. <laughs> it's my stage name. My, my name is actually Bob. I didn't like to stand out when I was a kid. Now, now it's fun to be different, but. Right? I know. It's crazy how that happens. <laughs> Welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I'm Prof Walls. I also am joined this evening by my co-host, Prof Joe, and executive producer of Sport Talks, Chelsea Bernhout, and Axel Leo Manis, who's our entertainment and e-sport expert. And I also see that we've got a number of our students here tonight. The one person who's not here to be able to join us is Coach Berlin, but we do have Chelsea taking over Rapid Fire. So tonight, our spotlight speaker is Asher Hill, former professional ice dancer and Canadian junior champion, competed internationally for Skate Canada, was on the national team for six years, former Ryerson graduate. I did not know that until just a couple of days ago when the students were telling me, this is fantastic. What program did you graduate from? I was in biology and then switched to occupational health and safety. I actually, I always joke that I only have a five eighths of a degree. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'll take I take the graduate compliment. I'll, okay, I'll well, yeah, there you go. We said it. Take it. There you go. Uh, so 2012 World Championship team skated with Karis Ralph and Nicole Orford is now a coach in choreography, working with children and ages at the national level competition. Co-host of that figure skating show on YouTube for CBC. So I guess you know some familiar faces as we just established that you know our dear friend Karen Sebesta. And you and your dance partner, Jessica Campbell, play second on CBC's Battle of the Blades for season six. The list continues to go on, Asher. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was uh, really fun to be in Battle of the Blades this year. Okay, let's talk about that, the Battle of the Blades. So you competed in season six with Jessica Campbell, as I said, came in top three in the competition. In fact, in the season finale, you play second. What was that experience like, let's say, different than competing on the world stage? Well, first of all, uh, very different because uh, obviously we're filming during time of COVID. So usually Battle of the Blade is always filmed in front of a live audience. So there was no live audience this time. And so all of the woos and like laughing sounds were all like laugh tracks and cheering tracks. So that was really, really weird. But uh, yeah, so it's really different that you're only performing pretty much in front of the three judges that are there on the show. Very different because you're obviously skating with someone who is not a figure skater, but is a hockey player. And the skating technique is completely different. You have to really try and adapt your skating language to their hockey language so they understand what you're talking about. And then it's it was a lot more fun than competing, that's for sure. <laughs> So you're both former professional athletes mm. and how helpful was it? You know, you talk about the difference between ice skating and hockey, but also the chemistry and basically collaborating as a partner. How important is that to be able to be together and understand each other from a collaboration standpoint and that chemistry with your partner? I think I lucked out like incredibly so with Jessica. She was right on my level, my weirdness level, my energy level. As soon as we met each other, like our auras just combined and collided in the movies. It was like we were good friends right from the beginning. And then, you know, being with somebody who is also a high level athlete and made it so far in hockey, she 
had the same drive as I did. Like we, she wants to get this perfect. She needs to learn how to do a three turn. Like I got to figure out how to turn up my foot and like stretch my fingers. So she was like really, she, all of the hockey players actually were just really all about getting everything perfect. Cause they don't want to look bad. You don't want to look bad doing something that's completely out of your comfort zone. So you're really going into every day of training, really trying to nail down the elements and the aesthetic of figure skating. So you mentioned during the season finale, how you didn't want to do the show mm-hmm. and that you were done with the sport. How emotionally was this for you to um, experience and be on the ice again? Yeah, I was I was in a really rough place mm-hmm. mentally and with the sport as well. I was going through a lot of issues with uh, Skate Canada and my former workplace with uh, experiencing like racism and abusive skaters and stuff like that. And so I was not in a really good place, plus pandemic. So I, I really was feeling disheartened and disillusioned with the sport. But uh, Sandra Bezik, who is a co-creator and producer of the show, emailed me and gave me a call when she was actually interested in hearing about my story. She's such a great person, very ethereal and like all about empathy. I love talking to her. And so she was, took time to learn about where I was in my skating career and where I was mentally. And then, you know, try to put the seeds in my head of, okay, do you want to be a choreographer on the show? Maybe I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I like choreography. And the next call was like, will you do the show? And I'm like, I don't know. And so just kept going there and there until I eventually said yes. And my reasoning for saying yes was, one, there's money going to a charity of your choice. So I can finally put my money where my mouth is. And then two, it was like something to do during a pandemic as well as, you know, I wasn't really coaching because everything was closed down and it was a big opportunity to get my message out there. And I was going into it just like, okay, I'll suffer through it, <laughs> which is not a good uh, mindset to have going into anything. But I'm really glad I did. Working with Jessica and our coaches, Ben Augusto and Catherine Hill, they really helped me find the joy in skating again. And being with Jessica, although she understands how to skate, she is learning figure skating. So it was working with someone your age, but also working with somebody who is like, an eight-year-old like learning figure skating and so then watching the joy of her like landing her waltz jump and we're just all cheering which is like I haven't done in a while it was just having that wonderment of skating again and why I enjoyed it and it it really turned out to be a really positive experience so I thank the whole team and everyone else who was working on the project from the uh, cameraman to the other producers to the showrunners it was it was amazing. We do want to address the racism and the challenges that you face and that Skate Canada and skating in this country does face. Mm-hmm. Before we go there, though, could you just tell us a little bit about the final battle and the song that you and Jessica performed to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so because we uh, usually how the show runs is that there is like a um, trial period or like a boot camp. And then that's when they pair you up. But obviously with COVID, we couldn't really do that. So the only time I met with Jessica and our coaching team was through Zoom. And then right away, I was just like, okay, think of music that you want to potentially skate to. And she had suggested the song Purple Hat. And I was absolutely so I was so excited because I really loved Sophie Tucker. And so just bonding over that one piece of music, we uh, immediately made it our first piece. So week one, that was our first one. And then we actually won that week. And then for the last week, we had to bring back one of our old performances for the finale. And then we chose to go with that one just because it was a nice storybook ending. And it was just our personality. Uh, I think we were 
definitely the most annoying on the show um, with her energy. <laughs> and so that just kind of continued throughout. And so we wanted to end it with, you know, who we are and playing to our strengths and playing to our characters and just really enjoying that. So, um, and then they actually, I think they commented on one of our posts, uh, Sophie Tucker, so that was pretty cool for me. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Okay, so I have a question here and I'd like to bring in a little bit of research to this because we do want to address the racism that you encounter. And there's a number of academic articles that they call it skating on white ice. And the concept of representation in figure skating all over the world for that matter, but let's just focus on specifically in North America and in Canada in our Canadian marketplace. And uh, specifically with even Skate Canada and the challenges that you face, could you maybe just shed a little bit of light on that? And then I'll just also talk about, like many sports, skating is not exempt from this, is that it's steeped in white male dominated power. And again, why they call it white ice and this whole idea of why the sport matters and where the racism exists and discrimination exists in the sport of skating. And clearly you've experienced that. When I speak about my experience in skating, like when I first started it, I was really lucky at where I started skating in the Scarborough area. There's a big giant diaspora of Caribbean people. My parents are Jamaican, so there's Trinidadians or Jamaican, Bahamian, whatever. And so I was really lucky growing up, up in that environment that there were so many people on the ice that did look like me. Growing up in that was really comfortable. I didn't really start feeling the other until I was in my teens and then I started actually getting more into competitive skating especially the ice dance and I found transforming into like a coach now I would hear it and see it so much more which is very disappointing because those are the ones who are supposed to be like the educators and the ones that are supposed to mold and shape you know the children that become adults and you know when you hear things like oh yeah we don't like to coach black kids because they can't skate or these people can't actually skate because they're from Sri Lankans and all Sri Lankans don't know how to skate which is a stereotype I've never heard before but it's something that people would create you think it would actually be something like Americans don't know how to skate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? You, you know, you think I, I'm obviously being sarcastic here to hear something like that. I mean, especially yeah. since, you know, this is, I'm talking North America. If you think anywhere sort of like Southern U.S., Southern Eastern U.S., Central U.S., like there's no skating. It's warm weather. So you can say the same <laughs> thing about America. Agreed. Uh, yeah. It's and, I, and I would argue that like if you grew up next to a rink, then you have the opportunity to skate regardless of who you are. It's like, are, are you the fastest runner? Or are you just the person who lucked out who grew up next to a track? You know, I think it doesn't matter what your identity is. You should be able to have that ability to pursue any sport you want. And I think with in a sport like figure skating or any winter sport, it's immediately deemed like supposed to be a, a white or Eurocentric sport and you're not even supposed to go there. And you can like probably track that back to immigrant racism where black people were told not to come to Canada because they wouldn't like the cold kind of stuff. Um, but I, I think when like figure skaters like me or, or black figure skaters or figure skaters of color start to experience racism. It's definitely at the higher levels because, you know, for like, if you speak to experience of a black woman, it's finding tights that match your skin color, or, you know, you have to press your hair because your natural hair, the way it grows out of your hair doesn't look 
attempt and it's not the right look to compete on the ice and that can lead to deductions because it's just you know it's an aesthetic sport it's by how you view a person and how you like look at them and so you know there's a struggle of that kind of thing it's just trying to shake those white norms to just be able to let anybody skate no matter what they look like kind of thing So how do you think then, like, what do we need to do as a national sport organization, provincial sport organizations in this country, what we can do as well as as those of us that are studying sport media and working in this industry? How can we better this sport to address these issues? I think it comes down to empathy and education. I don't think people understand how much it, like, takes for someone like me to, like, get to the rink you know like I could face how many microaggressions just on my way to the rink or maybe during that day I'm watching another black person be killed on the news and then I have to go and train all day and then me even bringing up that kind of information or or talking about Colin Kaepernick or or what have you it it makes it feel uncomfortable like it feels like you can't speak out in your own skin being in the sport that you're in because often it's met with either some kind of resistance or the fact that it's like, no, that doesn't exist here. We don't have it here. Um, I think in figure skating, because it is an artistic sport, and I think that we are more kind of accepting of identities more on the queer side, that we think we have a kind of moral license, like that stuff doesn't actually happen there. And so we're very quick to dismiss it. I mean, I can say that about Canada in general, but I think it's just being aware that within our society and the world, we're constantly steeped in racism, colonialism, and misogyny. And to think that a sport that exists in that world somehow gets to escape that is completely unrealistic. And so I think that it's knowledge and understanding and empathizing with people to understand that we can't escape that because we are in the world. And so therefore we are affected by those exact same factors and affect everything else from medicine to government to sport. So I think it's it's that awareness that it actually does happen. And, and then to also listen to those people who bring those issues forward. So generally on this show also, Asher, is we like to try to drill down as much as possible to get to the extent that you're comfortable speaking about this, mm-hmm. the core of the, the issues and also some of the realities that exist. So skating being a sport that is judged, do you think at all that the judgment globally, whether it's the international skating, Olympic skating, Canadian skating, do you think that racism is a factor in any of the judging? Um, yeah, I think so. You know, we have had so many athletes of color uh, excel in figure skating, especially now in this era of skating. Uh, we've had so many more um, people of East Asian descent dominating figure skating, whether it's Korea, China. Uh, Japan and all that stuff. And, you know, back in the 80s, we had the first Black woman to medal or first Black person to medal at a Winter Olympics with um, Debbie Thomas. Um, But you would even hear issues of like what they kind of went through or even Surya Bonnelly. There were (laughs) those weird stories of her being like raised in a caravan and she's a wild, like she's out of the box when none of it was true. It was just to kind of play up her exoticness or I hate that word but like it's like ooh, we've never seen a black person with like just that wears uh no tights and we see her bare legs and her hair doesn't look like a typical white person hair or whatever and you know she had lots of issues competing and not 
being recognized and not uh, getting the results, not only that she believed that she deserved, but the people watching as well. And so, like I said, to think that we're not, we don't have those unconscious biases just because it's the sport of figure skating is, I think, naive, as well as you're also literally judging somebody. So you're already in the aspect of judging a look. And then if you don't think that your bias is going to come into that, I think that is naive and not in reality. So I'd like to think that things have changed and my anyone that watches the show knows how I feel about this in general when I talk about diversity in sport and the fact that I don't think it's changing quick enough or it makes little steps and then it halts and and so forth but I would like to think that today let's say Bonnelly when she competes that today is going to be a different story for her because I do think that she experienced racism in the sport and she broke down so many barriers. I would like to think that if she was to compete today versus when she compete, that things would be different for her. And I'm skeptical to say that that is true. And it makes me very saddened and embarrassed and ashamed of our national sport organization and provincial sport organizations and everything that we do, even at the university on this podcast, to be able to bring issues to light and talk about things when it comes to diversity. But I think that, again, similar to, let's say, gender, similar to LGBTQ plus, and even the other day, we had a, a number of people on the show, and we were talking about disabled people. But the lady who had corrected us saying that this is actually, I'm not disabled, I have a physical challenge, which was great for us to learn as an organization and as educators. Do you have any comment on whether you think Bonnelly would have a different time today than when she did when she competed? I think so, yeah. I think it would have been more positive, a little bit, a little bit. Again, it's like maybe that much. <laughs> maybe they wouldn't have called her exotic from another land when she's from France, which is a well-known country. Uh, so I, I, like I, maybe maybe the sport casting would have been a little bit better. I don't know. Like, you know, we have uh, athletes like Vanessa James, who's done quite well in the sport, but, you know, it's like on the way to getting there. An example for me is uh, at the club I used to work at, and I, I've heard colleagues say, well, that's why I don't coach Black kids for some stupid reason that I don't have to go into but that saying that even just to me and I'm standing there as a black figure skater who's made it so far who's gone to worlds who's won uh nationals who's done all these things and that to me right there was just like so you're just already dismissing this black child who's done nothing to you to even give an opportunity to try and even skate or make their goals or do whatever um there was even a kind of a, a scourge of I would hear these things in the coach's room's like, okay, yeah, you know, we'd go on to CanSkate, which is a little kid session and you have to like get your own kids kind of thing. You see if they have talent and you like try and bring them into the competitive stream. And, you know, some directives of a coaching team was literally, yeah, look for the Asians and the cute white kids. And we're training in Brampton where 50% of the population is non-white um, and a higher percentage is East Indian, Sri Lankan and, and Caribbean. So you have all these kids who fit those descriptions who you are immediately not even giving the opportunity to even access the sport of figure skating. Um, Can you so. maybe explain, sorry, I don't understand that statement when they said that that's why we don't coach black kids. Why? So I had brought up a story about um, a child, a black kid that I had coached and it was just kind of like how she's a little bit more uh, quirky and just was, didn't like the princess 
uh, princess stuff kind of thing or like whatever those gender norms are. She was definitely into like, oh yeah, no, I'd like to watch like the news. She's very older for her age. She's like eight, but she'd be like, oh, did you hear about what happened in Syria today? And blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> like, what? And so <laughs> in his mind and, and this coach's mind, he took it as just like, well, that's weird. It's that kid like going to be like a serial killer or aggressive instead of just being like, oh that's a smart person. And then the response was, that's why I don't coach black kids. So I was just like, okay, so now you're pathologizing the child, which is already the racist moniker of she's black, so she must be dangerous. So now you're pathologizing the child to be a danger rather than her just being a curious child. This is a topic that we could talk about all evening. Can I just ask one more question on this story in particular? Could you maybe just, so when that person said this to you, what is your reaction? my reaction was immediately just like you can't just assume a kid is going to be a serial killer because what there's a depth to them or they're just older than their years and they are just have a little bit of a more than what you put them to be and then as well as you're speaking to me a black man who was once a black child who was also in figure skating and you're telling me you wouldn't lend your expertise to help this kid skate or any other black kid really because they're dangerous to you and that's why you don't coach them when really the person that's dangerous is this coach yeah Yeah, (laughs) very scary so um i want to bring in joe here for a moment and let's talk about back to figure skating and in that space and ice dancing and joe i want to bring you into and to talk a little bit about asher's career and you know at what point did he decide to retire and what are some of the aspects of his career that he faced in terms of a professional athlete joe Hi, Asher. It's nice to meet you. Um, I have a lot of good memories about the figure skating sport because um, I ended up producing almost every sport. And the years that I did figure skating, I was really enjoyed it. And I have some great memories. I even think of it now. I thought of it the other day. I was in Germany at the World Figure Skating for when I turned 40, which was, I'm not going to say how many years ago, but uh, so a lot of great memories from it. And I really enjoyed the sport. I was at least working on it. I wanted to know from you, What is it that you love about skating? Like what brought you to the sport? What kept you in the sport? And what do you love about it? I love that it's a sport that is a mixture of athleticism and art. Since I was a kid, I was definitely been more of a feeler of the music. I would give it my all. Like maybe I'd like fall on every single job, but like, God damn it. Like you knew what music I was skating to and you knew what character I was playing. I'm, I was very predisposed on creating a story. And I still like to see skating when it creates a story and makes you feel and, you know, hitting every kind of beat of music. So I think I'd like that we're superhuman. We're fighting against the uh, forces of physics by skating on knives on our feet on frozen water and then throwing ourselves in the air or trusting a girl to lift her over our heads and all that stuff and it's a mixture of yeah I think athleticism and storytelling and being able to you know create art and beauty on the ice. What is your greatest memory in your competition career? I have a few. So my first favorite memory was me and Karis's like first sectionals uh, championship, which is like your little competition before you go to like challenge and uh, nationals. And um, we used to do the ordinals and like, this is juvenile. So it was like 2.5, 2.6, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden a judge pulled out like a 1.3. And we we're just like, what? 
<laughs> and then that was like our defining moment of just like we never want to get that level like that mark again and so that was what motivated us through uh to really you know be better skaters because it was a shock to get that but then i think all of my there's two of them uh in this in this genre is whenever the uh audience boos our, our scores so at Skate Canada in Windsor, and I think in 2013 or something like that, our scores came up after our short program and uh, we had skated really well. And then we came like last in the event or whatever. And so when our marks came up, the audience booed. And then actually at our first Worlds in uh, Nice, France, when our marks came up after the free dance, the audience boos, which is very empowering. Cause you know, when we're figure skaters, we have to like sit here and be like, Thank you for the crap marks. Thank you very much. So wonderful. I loved it. <laughs> and our secret outfits. But so when you get like the reaction of the crowd that you don't agree and they give it to you too, it's nice and empowering. And then the last one was when um, Victor Kratz at uh, 2010 Nationals after our original dance, he said that how much he like loved our skating and that it was just like the embodiment of ice dance and like how like how I really enjoy, like I look like I really enjoyed and created dance on the ice. And so hearing that from Victor Kratz, like my body like left. So those are my three favorite moments in figure skating. That's great. So when then becomes the moments that you start to think about retiring from sport? Because I always wanted to do a documentary with athletes about knowing when to get out. I think it's mm -hmm. one of the hardest things for athletes is knowing when to retire. You see many of them after they, like they don't have that long a career and they get a gold medal early on. And after that gold medal, they leave, they retire. And then we mm. see many come back and come back and their kind of prestige starts to fall off a bit. There's this sweet spot for athletes of when to get out. So what were the moments that started to make you go, mm, maybe I'm going to start to think about retiring, which, what led to it? I think where a lot of athletes, you know, get stuck as well is that you have such a finite definition of success in skating uh, or any kind of sport, especially if it's just an Olympic sport. Um, so you're like, I got to make it to the ultimate goal. That's the Olympics. I have to make it to the Olympics, even though so many, so few of us make it to the Olympics. So I think it's like redefining success and, and um, and it's redefining yourself in a way. Yeah, sorry, yourself, yourself, and like what your idea of success in the sport is. Like, is it that I've made it to nationals, that I've gone to a world's? Like, how much more can I get? And so, when I retired, I had just come back after a year off. I came back with Nicole Orford, and we actually only skated together for seven months. But it was a really good partnership. I think we both, again, kind of disillusioned with the sport in the sense that we weren't enjoying it anymore because you know it starts to feel like a job and so when we both came together the partnership was so good and it was so easy and um you know we won our our first international we did we won and then we came fifth at nationals uh only skiing together for like just over seven months and i think it was that sense of okay i'm happy with what i did and i'm happy with this feeling that i had and I'm content. I can, I'm content and I can leave now. Um, as well as there was another factor in we're also skating in Canada, which is the, one of the best countries in the world for ice dance. And so we have Tessa and Scott, uh, we have, uh, Caitlin, uh, Weaver, Andrew Poget, and then Paul and Piper. Um, and so like, you know, to crack through that top three, like phenoms and ice dance, it was like, okay, like I'm going to have to like wait my turn. Cause that's also happens with skating. It's like, one has to go and then you can move up. One has to go and then you can move up. And it was just like, how long do I want to keep doing that? And then if it's an unrealistic amount of time I'm willing to invest, it was like, 
okay, time to step away and, and move on. And then can you tell me, and well, tell us about then, how that skating show came about? And what was that experience like? What has that been like to kind of be on the other side of things? Mm -hmm. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> Just be honest. I, like, I think people think my ridiculousness is funny or that my stupidity is funny. My mom calls it annoying. But um, PJ Kwong, I, you must know PJ. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She had uh, called me and said there was like an audition to go on CBC and do some like live uh, commentary. And so I, I went in, I did my, my little interview with um, Brenda Irving was with me and we're like, talking back and forth. We're just watching an old tape of figure skating. And then I thought I did terrible. I was sweating everywhere. I was stuttering. But then they called me back and said, yeah, we're going to have you come in to do the Grand Prix final. And so then I did the Grand Prix final with PJ as uh, the A chair and then me as the B and just like doing the live commentary. And that went really well. And then I was supposed to leave, but then Dylan was supposed to do pairs. And they just kept us all three there to do the commentary. And then they liked our banter together and me and Dylan, Dylan Moskovich have, have known each other for a really long time for decades literally so then I got an email from Karen uh, and then she said that they were having an idea to do a YouTube show or digital media for CBC and and they wanted me and Dylan to be the faces of it and to do all that and then we did our first episode i think it was for skate america in las vegas and we wore elvis wigs and um yeah <laughs> it, was, it was a mess but uh apparently people like it and they keep calling me back to do more so i'm just gonna keep doing that until the phone doesn't ring anymore i don't get emails so <laughs> that's it <laughs> but it's a it's a fun i really it's fun because they let me and dylan pretty much do whatever we want obviously within reason but um we have a great rapport and it's doesn't feel like a lot of work because again we're very familiar with the figure skating material um and then we just kind of riff off each other's uh, energy so it's fun well that's great and uh, yeah some of those people you mentioned like our colleague karen sebesta who also teaches here in the program and pj who's just legendary right like oh my gosh and brenda brenda irving one of my favorite people she actually is I have my car in her driveway for a week because my underground parking <laughs> is getting fixed. <laughs> I just saw her yesterday. <laughs> so anyways, but, uh, that's fantastic. And, and I just want to now toss it over to uh, Axel, who's got some questions for you as well. Thanks, Asher. Yeah, hi, Asher. Hi, everyone. Asher, you clearly still have a passion and a love for the sport of skating, even given your experiences with racism and ignorance through your career. And that's evident in kind of what you've done post-retirement, you know, uh, since that happened five years ago. What is it about coaching that checks a box for you or, or, or brings you fulfillment? I really like getting into the weeds of how to do a particular thing, like if it's a bracket, which is just a simple turn on the ice, or like I, I really like getting into how to break things down and explain it to my student on how to make their technique better or how to do things more efficiently. So that's really fun to break down uh, skating because I think even because there was a time I was skating and coaching. And when you actually have to break down all the things that you're doing to somebody else to explain it, it makes you a way better skater. Because I think when you just kind of are always just kind of going through the motions and you just, you take all everything you can do really well for granted. And then when someone's just like, how do I push? You're just, you're like, you push. And they're like, but how? 
So you have to like break it down, bend your ankles, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Side blade push, like roll your ankle over all the way to the toe kind of stuff. Uh, so that part's really fulfilling for me. And then as well as my main thing that I really love doing is choreography. So I love creating programs. I love to explore my kinesphere. I love to create movements to music and then figure out how the skater wants to relate to the music as well. Cause you know, it's their training, it's their lives, it's their program. They have to learn how to love it. So it's learning how to see the person uh, who you're creating the program for in the music that you've been given or the music that they selected to, you know, make something that they can connect to because they have to, you know, skate to it and like draw so much energy into it and out of themselves to like, you know, skate a perfect program. So I, I really enjoy choreography and that's really rewarding for me to see my creations on the art, on the ice, sorry. And you said earlier that you love storytelling mm -hmm. and you're continuing to tell stories through your, that figure skating show. And, um, you know, you clearly have the desire to still entertain as there's evidence in your, in your work for Battle of the Blades. Should we be reading into this? Is this all leading up to something? Are you seeing a future in sport media? You seem really comfortable in your skin um, being on this type of stage and you seem to be having a lot of fun. So where, where is it going from here? I love that you think there's a plan because I don't know anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I, I'm getting more comfortable in front of the camera. Uh, I actually had to do some camera work with um, Bob Babinski. I don't know. I forget his last name. But anyway, so we're doing some camera work with him to like make sure I'm better at not being trash on uh, film. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think there may be a future in sports media. I am enjoying it, but we'll see. I'm very holistic in my approach to life right now. Um, given, you know, the pandemic and what's the plan anyways. So, <laughs> so I'm just keeping everything open and as opportunities come to me, I'm just going to keep pursuing them and then seeing where they, they pan out, but I am enjoying it a lot. So I think maybe. <laughs> well, we have an addition of sorts uh, coming up in, in a second, um, a test of how good you are in your toes and Chelsea's going to lead our rapid fire questions tonight. Uh, Chelsea, do you want to take it from here? Well, it's nice to meet you, Asher. Finally, I'm face-to-face, -face, I guess not person, but face-to-face -face yes. versus just behind the emails. So as Laura mentioned earlier, and as Axel said, that I'll be taking over our rapid fire cues for Dan the Coach Berlin. So I have a roundup of fun questions ready to go for you. And the goal here is for the questions to come in hot and the answers to be short. But I've probably not done a very great job at making questions that you can answer in short increments. So if you go over, I will not cut you off. There is no buzzer beater. So to start off, let's start with Bad Blades. What was your favorite song to perform and why? Purple Hat, because Sophie Tucker is lit. Um, they give you energy um, and we were ridiculous. And the energy me and Jess gave to each other was, uh, felt like we were just having fun and not skating for anything. It's great. I completely agree with that. So what is your most favorite figure skating costume and what is your least favorite? And this can be from Battle of the Blades or in general. Like on me or on somebody else? Oh, let's do on you. Oh, see, this is hard. <laughs> um, I liked what I wore for my uh, 
original dance in 2010. Uh, it was an African OD and it was pretty much just a mesh color shirt uh, that was made me look nude. Um, and then also I did do a, uh, a skating exhibition also topless. So that's also my favorite. Anything where there's minimal clothing is my favorite on me. Um, and then my least favorite skating outfit on myself is anytime I had to wear a tux to do waltzes. Mm -hmm. It's not functional for any kind of athletic movement. I don't know why they keep putting us in them. Even if you make a four-way stretch, it's still awful and it's so hot. <laughs> I was gonna say, did they, have they not figured out how to make it so that you can, it, it looks like a tux, but you can skate in it properly? <laughs> oh, you can still skate in it, but it's just like, it's it's too many layers. It's too much. No okay, so no, no tuxes for you. Yeah. So if you could pick any couple, obviously besides yourself and besides the winners, Megan Duhamel and Wojtek Wolski, who would you have picked to win Battle of the Blades this season? Um, Vanessa James and Akeem Aliou. This season was absolutely insane. People were doing throw triples like it was the Olympics. I thought I was going to come here and have to skate. Like, it's going to be easy, a little dance here, a little dance there. Everyone's doing Olympic level moves. It was ridiculous. So, and uh, they busted out a throw triple flip. That was amazing. And so I think they would have been the next best to win. So my next question is, who was your sports hero growing up? This is going to suck because my answer is terrible. I didn't really have one because I would pick so many different skaters and just take one thing I liked about them. Um, and so my the people I looked up to were always changed all the time. Like it would be like Genny Plushchenko one time and then it would be Surya Bonnelly and then it would be Shang Shang Li and then it would be Pang and Tong. So um, I don't really have a good answer for that. Like literally I would, uh, Megan Duhamel used to skate with um, Craig Bunton and he had a really good back cross cut. So I'm like, oh, I'm, he's my inspiration for back cross cuts. So sorry for my crap answer. I don't no, I think one. that's a great, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's interesting to see you following various athletes for specific tricks or anything or skills and, and talent. So I think that's awesome. So in five words or less, what is the single most rewarding part of the work that you do? Having trouble cutting five words in my head. I was gonna say, <laughs> this is, it's gonna be more than five words and don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> Creativity and empathy. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think creative creativity and empathy. Um, I think they go hand in hand when you're trying to, you know, create a program and then learn about somebody who wants to skate to this program as well or this music. So, those are my three words: <laughs> creative, creativity, and empathy. I don't know. That's hard. I know, I, I won't ask a, a word limit one again. So what skill do you rely on most day in and day out? Self-induced anxiety. <laughs> Is that a skill? Can you elaborate on that? I think that's very interesting. <laughs> uh, no, I think I just, I, whenever I'm just sitting and doing nothing, I'm immediately like terrified that I could be doing something. It's, I just create like this like problem situation in my head when it's just literally like, you could just sit down, it's fine. <laughs> I like that a lot. I, re I relate to that. I have similar vibes to you as where I try to view it more as a superpower than something that is a detriment. So I love that. Um, if you could change only one thing in professional sports, what would it be? For athletes to be seen as a whole person, 
I think it's very easy for athletes to be pigeonholed into just, you're an athlete, you're a basketball player, you're a figure skater, you're this. There's no range for you to be like, okay, I think it's changing a bit now. And, you know, it's it's always been like this. People have been more multifaceted, but being able to speak on social issues, being proud of who you are and your identity and owning yourself, um, owning your own autonomy, uh, while also being an elite athlete. I, I wish that would change instead of, you know, having to just be a superhuman, super body without any kind of thoughts or anything like that. So I think that's changing now, especially uh, given the climate that we are in today. But uh, yeah, that's what I would change. That's fantastic. I would love to see that more uh, in sports in general. So who is the person that you're most inspired by in your life? My twin sister. Uh, her name's Acacia Hill. She's been my inspiration pretty much all my life. Uh, I used to be a weird kid and never talk, so she was my mouthpiece. Um, and she's still always very positive, even um, she's faced things worse than I have, uh, but she still is able to go out there, get what she wants, work as hard as she wants. I mean, work as hard as she needs to to get what she wants. Uh, she's actually opened up her own skating school uh, in Brampton and uh, just, an inspiring woman and i think um you know also shout out to women in general um <laughs> you guys do amazing stuff and thank you for not being a trash man anyways <laughs> is that controversial <laughs> to say that. well you you I, I anticipated your answer perfectly because my follow-up question was if the school that your sister has um and, and that she's a coach for the brampton hill skating academy could you tell us a little bit more about the school and some of the work that she's been doing uh, yeah, so like you said, it's called Brampton Hill Skating Academy, BHSA. We opened six months before the pandemic. So we weren't open very, very long, but um, you know, what she's aiming for is she worked at the same toxic club that I did and left for the same reasons. Actually, she got uh, fired for pretty much those exact same reasons. And so she just wanted to open up a club that was, you know, that she had the autonomy over and could keep it in the direction that she wanted to, as well as not having to walk on eggshells and being lambasted as the aggressive black woman or the one who just voices her opinions too much, therefore she needs to be quashed. So it was a place for kids of all identities, but especially uh, BIPOC skaters to come and you know feel at home, as well as our, our coaching staff is all uh, BIPOC, there's a three black coaches, me, Shaq, my sister, and then we have uh, our spin and flexibility coach, Nobahar Dadui, is an Iranian skater who also worked on Cirque du Soleil. She was a principal performer there for Crystal. Um, and so it's just an open, an open feeling to it. And it feels really nice when I'm there. I can really, I relax a lot more in the way that I wasn't other places. That's fantastic. And we'll make sure to add her, uh, the Instagram handle for the Academy in our description for the podcast so that everyone can go and yeah. follow. So the last question I have is, uh, this is like your, your 10 second pitch, elevator pitch. Tell our listeners why we should watch that figure skating show on CBC Sports on YouTube. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, you, you asked the wrong person. I'm so self-deprecating. Um, <laughs> watch it because Dylan is very handsome. And it's all about good looks. Everyone knows that. Uh, no, it's um, it, it's a, it, it's a kind of a, a fresher take on skating. It's more informal. We have a good mix of knowledge and hilarity. We like to approach it without the stuffiness that skating often is supposed to have. You know, we're very 
like I said, we're we sit on the kiss and cry. We have no emotions. We have no reactions. We just love our spandex and our Swarovski crystals, uh, and then we skate. <laughs> so we're more than that, and so we hope to lend a voice to show that it's more than that, as well as uh, you know, making it fun and not as stussy as it is. Good. Now we're all avid viewers of your new show. So <laughs> no one's gonna now no one's gonna watch it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, that is your rapid fire. I'll throw it back over to you, Laurel. Thank you. Thank you, Oscar. You've got such a good sense of humor. And you, yeah, no more self-deprecating. That's it. It's over. The only time you can ever self-deprecate is if Axel can pull off a triple Axel crown, okay? So we, we have a deal. There you go. That's, that's the other thing is to dance on here. So that would be the Dan dad joke of the night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm glad this is recorded. We'll have to share that with him. But this has been such a pleasure to listen to you. And I do think Axel's onto something there that, you know, and again, obviously the producers at CBC and the various people that you work with see something so incredibly talented about you besides your skating skills. And we're really excited for your future. It's been wonderful chatting with you tonight on a number of topics. We thank you so much for being on Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I know that I speak on behalf of Prof Joe, our executive producer, Chelsea Verne, and uh, Axel Lilmanis, and of course, Coach Berlin, he's not here, and it's the students, that this was just phenomenal to look to to speak with you, listen to you, and uh, you've got such an amazing energy about you. It's contagious and we look forward to seeing you more and seeing how your career goes in the sport media sphere. So thank you and have a good evening. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, thank you for letting me ramble. Um, and yeah, I, <laughs> you're too kind, but thank you so much. <laughs> that was, yeah, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. Good night, Asher. Good, good night. night.